0: Well, good morning. Today is a gift, and you, you know that this is a season of, of giving. Hopefully you, you, you got some of the gifts that maybe was on your wish list for, for, for Christmas. Um, maybe it was a vacuum cleaner for some. That's awesome. Um, maybe it was, it, was, it was something else. But life is a gift. Today is a gift, and we want to make it count. You know, as we head into the new year, I know that in just a couple days we're going to be um, having parties and there'll be people hanging out together and, and watching the ball drop, um, which doesn't really drop, it kind of like creeps, um, which always frustrates me. I wish someday it would just really drop, but um, but you're going to watch the ball drop and, and the new year will come. And one of the things we do around the new year, one, it's actually a great opportunity to pause for a moment, to, to think about what your year in 2012 looked like what was great about it what was not so great about it what your life looked like and maybe where you went off course and and redirect that for the coming year you got a a new opportunity to start fresh and it's my prayer this morning maybe we could do that that we could we could together uh, focus in on, on a few things and 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 Maybe redirect some stuff um, as we go into 2013. As we start today, I want to in- encourage you, um, just, why don't we just pray together and just ask that God would, would focus us and focus our minds on, uh, on what he wants to say. So you can join me and you can pray this even to yourself silently. Just say, God, or maybe today you would say, God, if, if you're there, I'm listening. I know we don't have a lot of time here on earth. So speak to me. Shout at me if needed. Get my attention because I'm listening. I'm all ears. Amen. And I hope that that's, that is, 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 is what you can do. If you have your Lakeshore notes, you can pull them out. On the right-hand side, there is a gray box, a section. And there's two sections within that box. And it just says, you know, what is God saying? And then what do I need to do about it? Anytime we interact with God's Word, that's, that's, th- those are two great questions to ask. What is God saying? Um, and, then, and then what does God actually want me to do about it? How do I live this out in my daily life? And so I'd encourage you to use that. Um, as, as you feel led. If you are on Twitter or Instagram, if you could use the hashtag LCCROC. Um, we say that a, a lot. Just a reminder, um, that'll isolate your tweets, um, and we could, we could interact with you offstage um, a little bit with that as, as well. You know, as we talk about the new year, probably somebody's already been in those awkward conversations, and they're trying to make small talk, and they said something to you, you know, man, gosh, doesn't it seem like it was just yesterday that 2012 started? or doesn 't it seem like this year went by so fast, I and mean, where did the time go it, it should still be March or something but it 's because there 's snow out but but it's it 's not it 's december and it's now it 's now the new year doesn 't it seem to you like the year went by fast? And I know for me it it does too and and what 's funny to me too is it seems that every year it seems to go faster and i don 't know why that is maybe it 's that i 'm getting older and 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 whatever, and yeah, a lot of my older friends tell me that It's true, that's yeah, how it goes um, but but it just seems like it goes by fast. Have you ever stopped to think about why that is? I mean, we all know reality there's the same amount of time every every year when you were one year old. There were still 365 days in the year, and, and now when you're you're 30 or, or 40 or, or 62 or, or whatever, there's still 365 days in the year. Um, this is about the extent of my math, but I, I did math this week. That means there's 8,760 hours in the year and 525,600 minutes in the year. And every year, that's how it is. That's just the way it is. It doesn't change. It's not like you get less this year than you got last year, but sometimes it feels like that, that our perception is that it, it, it seems like time went by faster, and I, I have a, a hunch of why maybe this is, and it's something we're going to refer to this morning called the chase, that we in life are chasing after things, and because of the chase, sometimes it feels like life is going by faster than it really is. I heard uh, Doug Fields talk a lot about this a few months ago. I was listening to a youth ministry podcast, and, and also he was talking about it in a, in a marriage seminar, and it was super helpful for me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what a lot of youth pastors do, and I'm just going to steal a lot of what he talked about and apply it to you, because I think it can really be helpful and, and beneficial um, for, for all of us this morning. The chase. We're on the chase. We're all chasing something, and it starts when we're kids. We don't have to be taught how to do this. We know it. We instinctively do it. We chase. When I was a little kid, I, I, I was was chasing after um, the action hero, the, the, the person who would save the day. And for me, in, when I grew up in the 80s, it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Every morning, every Saturday morning, I'd get up. I would go downstairs. I'd still be in my, my PJs, and I would grab a bowl of... Uh, of 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 Captain Crunch, I had this little Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Donatello uh, bowl, and I would put it in there, and I'd I'd go to the living room, I'd sit in front of the TV, and I'd watch the Teenage Mutant ninja Turtles duke it out. I mean, a turtle and a ninja living in a sewer. Com- I mean, it was awesome as a little kid. That was so cool, so random now, but it was so cool. And and and, and we would go to. I mean, I was into it. We we would. You have to go to the babysitter every now and then. My brother and I, and we, would, we, would can't, we couldn't stand going there. Our babysitter had issues and, um, and everything. She really, she was a little messed up in the head. Um, she would eat pistachios all day long and watch soap operas um, while we, whatever. But anyways, we would throw a fit and my parents to appease us and kind of make it an easier transition. Um, they would every time buy us a new action figure. And it would always be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, one of the, one of the turtles. I wanted to be one of them. I was chasing after that. I wanted to be the, 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 the random turtle ninja who could could save the day from the evil shredder. I loved that. As I got a little older, I discovered the Incredible Hulk. And, and it was good for me, actually, because I, I had a really bad temper, and I would fly off the handle like that. I'd get super mad at times, and I dreamed of being the guy who could just, his shirt would just I would flex and my shirt would just rip off and I'd turn green and I would be able to demolish anything in, in my path. And I was chasing after that. I had visions of greatness even as a child. When I became a teenager, it didn't change. It just morphed a little bit. My, my dream, believe it or not, was to be president of the United States. I mean, what teenager wouldn't want to be in charge of the free world? And, and, and layers and layers and layers of people that just kind of do what he asked them to do as soon as he. I mean, we know that's not really true, but um, you know, somewhere along the way, I, I realized that you have to actually like politics to do that. So I gave that dream up, but I traded it for something else. I, I loved sports, and so I dreamed of being a professional athlete someday, of being the the star on the ESPN reel who made the big catch in the end zone or. The six-foot forward playing basketball who, who was constantly, during the game, down low, catching the alley-oops and, and and putting them in the hoop. Or the goalie who would take a 40-mile-per-hour shot to the face before letting the ball ever even get close to the net. I dreamed of being that person. Or, or the guy who caught the fish the size of a Buick. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Fishing's not a sport. Um, it's, kind, it's, kind of, it's kind of like NASCAR. I mean, it's... it's Sometimes I, I, I turn ESPN on and I feel like I'm, I got PBS or something, I'm like watching Advanced Driver's Ed and I, I I know, I, I realize, I realize that there are some parts of the country that, if they heard me say this, I, I, I'm a dead man. Um, I just spent the holidays this past week in, in the backwoods of Pennsylvania with my wife's family and, and uh, there's people that kind of look like this picture we're going to bring up here on the screen, I mean, it's, it's. Yeah. It's just you got to be careful. So for the record, just in case this goes on the podcast and goes out there and people hear it, I love NASCAR. I, I think it's awesome. I think it fills me up every time. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm just kidding. I hate it. But I, no, I love it. I, I mean, who doesn't love watching cars drive around in circles all day? It's so fun. I dreamed of being some kind of a professional athlete. And again, somewhere along the way, I realized you, you have to be good to, to do that. Uh, and I just wasn't. We, you know, we, we take these dreams of greatness and as we become adults, we, we put a few little tweaks to them and we bring them into the marketplace. We bring them into our careers and we bring them into our, our home life and our, and our relationships with our family members. You know, we want to be the successful businessman who's raking in profits for the company. We dream of being the doctor that discovers the cure to the incurable disease or, or the artist who finally rises above the independent labels and lands a contract with with the big name or the mom whose career is at home but she has honor students and the star of the soccer team she always has a clean house and and she's got the happening blog on the side as well It's, it's not just in the career realm it's 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 even in some of our personal goals for life it can be a a weight loss goal or a certain body image that we're chasing after. But all through life, we chase, we chase, we chase. And we go after one dream, after another dream, after another dream. And and that's not necessarily bad. I, I guess my point is, it's, it's not like you woke up one day when you were six years old and said, oh my goodness, I can't wait to grow up and become mediocre. <laughs> that we, 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 we go through life, and we have ambitions and dreams and hopes, and, and that's exactly what God wants you to have. But sometimes we can lose sight of, of what we actually should be focused on, and we just get focused on, on the goal that we're chasing after, and we miss what's most important in life. Here's what happens. Many times, somewhere along the way, we realize that it was just that, it was a dream, that that certain specific level of greatness, for whatever reason, just is, is out of our reach. We, we can't get there. So we, we, we tend to do this. We, we tend to find somebody in culture who we perceive to be living out that dream. And we say, they've got it. And so then we chase after what they look like. We say to ourselves, you know, if they could do it, then, then certainly I can do it. I just have to work harder. I have to put more hours in. I have to spend maybe more time on the treadmill or more time at the gym. I need to maybe get more training or take another class. But I can get there. I just need to be more committed. I need to work harder. And we go through life like this, chasing one thing after another, after another, after another. And here's the problem. And here's what I've noticed in my own life. Um, And God is, the hard thing about preaching is you have to to some extent, live some of this out and pace through it um, before you get to talk about it. And and God's been doing a lot of work in my own heart uh, through this. But here's the problem. The chase that most of us are on right now is making us way too busy. The chase that most of us are on is costing us way too much that if we really paused and slowed down for a minute and thought about how much this is costing us, that maybe we would stop chasing like we're chasing with this being the new year, it's a great opportunity to do that. I want to encourage you today, as we go into 2013, maybe one of your goals, maybe one of your resolutions going into the new year would be to stop chasing, to slow down your pace and refocus on what matters most. Proverbs 12:11. it's in your notes. It'll be on the screens as well. It says this, He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. I think there are so many people in our culture today, and so many of us, even if we're honest, we're chasing fantasies. We're chasing for something that we think is going to deliver, but in the end, it really leaves us just as empty as when we started. Make no mistake about it, the chase that you're on, the chase that I am on from time to time, that I get sucked into, that chase has a cost to it, and is costing us far too much. Let me isolate or focus on three areas of that cost. Number one in your notes to our families, the chase costs our families. The people that we love the most, closest, dearest to us, it, because it does this, it elevates our careers over our relationships. As So often somebody is chasing that promotion or that deal or they're, they're trying to work something there and, and they don't mean to do it, but they're... They're, it's costing their relationships at home. There are many people in in Scripture that I could uh, pull out for for this to give examples of where this this kind of took place, but there was one I want to want to highlight in. It's from the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. You know the story of Joseph. He uh, he was sold by his brothers into slavery. He he was shipped off to Egypt. He spent a lot of number of years there he worked his way up the ranks he finally became about second in command in the country and then he was accused of sexual harassment by the wrong person and he got sent to prison so he spent a number of of, of time amount of time in prison we don't know how long but i would imagine it was at least a couple of years and in prison the bible makes it clear to us that he 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 built a couple of relationships at least with two people with with the king of egypt's baker, and chief cupbearer. So the guy who, who tasted the wine before uh, he, he, uh, before the king drank it to make sure he didn't die, um, that, was, that was one of the people that he became close friends with. And, and here's what happens. Joseph, as many of you you know the story, he, was, he had a unique gift from God to be able to hear somebody's dream and interpret it and find the deeper meaning behind it. And then if it was a prophetic dream, he'd be able to tell them what exactly would happen in the future. And so these two friends of his in prison, they both have dreams. They're troubled by these dreams, so they tell the dreams to Joseph, and Joseph says, well, I, I think I know what that means. Here's what's going to happen. For the chief cupbearer, he had a dream, and, and Joseph said, you know, you're, you're going to get out of prison. This dream means that you're going to be lifted up out of prison here and you're going to be brought back to your position that you were before. And then Joseph adds something to that. He says, I don't know when this is going to happen, but, but when it does, would you remember me? Would you remember our friendship? Would you put a good word in for me? I mean, the king knows me, but maybe he's forgotten about me, and, and here I am. I did nothing wrong. Would you, would you vouch for me when you get out? Check out what happens here, Genesis 40, verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, uh, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Listen to this. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I've thought about this, I wonder, did did he really, literally forget about him? Did he just not remember those days? Were they just so dark that he forgot about his relationships? Maybe. Or did he feel that his career maybe was already on shaky ground and he didn't want to bring up anything that might be controversial to the king and so he just forgot about that. He took his promotion and left his friend behind. How often do we do something similar? That in our relationships with the people that matter most in our lives, do we do we leave them behind? And it's never the big things; it's always the small things, right? It's that phone call that you take at the wrong time, or you answer your text message there at at dinner, and, and and it devalues somebody, or you you stay at the office too late too many times and it sends a message you know there's one of two extremes you can be really really lazy or or you can work really 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 hard and either extreme is really not good there's 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 danger in in both sides and life is a balance we're all trying to figure out how to how to balance how to walk the tightrope of of all of this but what i've found is i know that if you're hot on the chase you're probably going to peg more to the workaholic side right you're probably going to be more inclined to spend more, more time there. It's so easy, week after week after week, to put in crazy hours. And then to hear a line maybe from your wife or from your, your husband, I feel, like a, I feel like I'm a single parent. And that's a tough place to be. I've been reading a book. It was, uh, a friend gave this to me uh, for Christmas, and I'm almost done with it. It's, it's, been, it's been great. It's by Andy Stanley called Choosing to Cheat. I've heard about this book a lot. I've read excerpts from I've heard Andy Stanley speak on, on this topic a lot, but I never read the whole book. And so I, I took this week and really devoted some time to reading. It's phenomenal. It's been so helpful. And he, he tells us why we do this so often. He gets behind the curtain a little bit, and he says this, and in the book, in spite of the futility, in spite of the insecurity, we are drawn to work. The rewards are tangible, progress is measurable, and the accolades are notable. Before long, we aren't working to support our families, we're working to support something far less virtuous our egos. He says this later on he says, because of our proclivity to veer in the direction of things that stroke our egos, we tend to cheat at home. We give an inordinate amount of time, energy, and passion to our work. spent some time with, with a friend recently and, and, and she is hurting. She's hurting. She's hurting bad because her husband is putting way too many hours in and she's left taking care of the kids really on her own and their marriage is more in trouble than he realizes. And if something doesn't change... With his chase and with their lifestyle, their marriage is going to be over soon. I know the same is, is, can be true for me. That if I'm not careful, that I can do something even as good as, as what I love to do. I, I, I'm a pastor. This is my job. I love the work of God. But I can even be even so involved in my career as a pastor that I miss what matters most at home. I don't shepherd my family at home. Let me, let me give you a, a secret, and this, this really affects your kids maybe more, than, maybe more than you realize. From the youth pastor, this is just a, a little secret. Your kids don't really want the presents that your Chase buys, the P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. They don't really care about that. What they really want is your presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. You can give them all the gifts in the world. You can give them a $5,000 gift card to Best Buy. It doesn't matter. They want you. I want your time. I see teens walking in all the time, and they are, you can spot them a mile away. They're starving for your time. You know, as well as I do, you can be physically home, but mentally and emotionally, you're still at the office. Some of you this morning, you may be having affairs. I'm not talking about with other men or other women, I'm talking about with your jobs. Your work is your object of affection. Your mobile phone is your mistress. Your laptop is your lover. And there are moments where you need to disconnect for the sake of your family. You know, one of my first bosses, when I was fresh out of college, um, started working, he would often come into the office and he would brag. And he would, he would say, man, I put in 75 hours last week. 80 hours last week. I had this going on, this going on, you tell me why. And I used to be impressed by that. I used to think, man, he must be successful. He must have got, been so productive and got so much done. I, I guess I need to chase after that. And I started to. And, and I found where that brought me. And it, and it was an ugly place. I'm not impressed by that anymore. I log my hours now as a way of self-accountability. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I want to keep it around 50, 55 hours. And if I see myself going more than that, something's broken inside. Maybe it's not just, again, your, your career. It's, it can invade your personal life. You can spend hours at the gym. And I know there are goals, and, 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 and it's even good to, to stay physically fit. There are scriptures that, that say that and, and make that very clear that the body that you have right now is the temple of God, and you need to protect it. But have balance with that. You could spend hours at the gym away from your family when they need you most. Are you chasing it? The chase has a cost, and it's costing your family. It's not just costing your family, though. It's costing your leadership. It costs our leadership because it it does this. It hides our insecurities. In your notes, that's the next fill in it. It hides our insecurities. I I believe, and I've heard someone say this before, and I I believe it's true, that all of us, every single one of us, no matter how confident you seem, we are all desperately insecure, right? We, We are all so insecure, and our insecurities come out in different ways and we will show them sometimes in, in, in various contexts. But we're all de- definitely, desperately insecure. And there's an example of, of somebody in, in the Old Testament. His name was Saul, King Saul. And throughout the story, if you look at his life from start to finish, he's a, a desperately insecure man. But he never dealt with his insecurities because he hid behind the chase that he was on. I want you to, to see this Again, if you read the story more, you can, you can look at it more. Just do a whole character study on him. Uh, he, was, he was the first king of Israel. Israel had rejected God as their king. Uh, God had said, you know, I am your king. You don't need a human king. Israel said, no, as a nation, we want to be like other nations. We want to have a, a human, a king, a president. We want someone to look to, like all the other nations around us. And God said, okay, you want a king? Here's what a king is going to do. He's going to do this, this, and this, and this. He said, I don't care. We want a king. And so they got a king, and they got Saul. And Saul was made king not because of, of his character, he was made king because of his charisma. He had the personality, the persona, he could, he could speak to multitudes and, 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 and he could get their attention. He looked good, he was a foot taller than anybody else. You can read it in the Bible, in, in those days that was attractive. But desperately inside, inside he was desperately insecure, he never dealt with that insecurity. He knew that he didn't have what it took. He knew he didn't have the raw material inside. And so constantly throughout his career and throughout his life, he's trying to prove himself to the nation. He's trying to say, I am, I'm good enough. I'm, I'm worth it. I can, I can do this. Check this out. This is after David killed Goliath. You know the story well. It says this, that when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's Goliath, the women came out. You know, when women come out, things change, at least for guys. Our egos are, are in a little bit different atmosphere level. And, and so his, 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 his thought process is a little different here. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with tambourines and lutes. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and he's thinking, yeah, I have, haven't I? And David, his tens of thousands. Oh, wait, hold on, wait a minute. It says this, Saul was very angry. This refrain, this line, it galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You know the rest of the story that Saul goes off the rest of his life and he's hunting, literally chasing David down to kill him because of his insecurity. That this guy is going to take my career from me, my kingdom from me, which actually was, was true. He was chasing the approval of people. He was chasing after that so hard and his insecurities overwhelmed. You know, our insecurities... We have them, but if we don't deal with them, they're going to come out in ugly ways later on in life. And what I've found, at least in my own life, and maybe you're different, but at least in my own life, that if I can stay so busy and, and chase things enough, I don't have to think about those insecurities. I can just move past them. And even in Christianity, even in church, we can, we can hide behind that. And, 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 and we, can, we can have 90% good motives and 10% selfish, evil stuff going on underneath and nobody knows. Let me give you an example. And, and this is, uh, I, I realize this is, this is a little raw for, for me, uh, but I think, I think it's good to be honest and, and kind of share. A few months ago, we did that sports series here, right, with, uh, with, with the sports figures, the NFL players. Awesome series, loved it. And, and I know that many of you did uh, as, as well. God did some really cool stuff here with that. But a few months before that started, uh, Pastor Vince came into my office and, and he said that, hey, you know, I was, I was talking with the elders and uh, we need someone to lead this. To, to kind of lead the event outside the auditorium, make sure the, um, everything is, is functioning well. And, uh, you know, we wondered if, if, you would be, if you would consider doing that. We really think that you would be the guy for that. And I was thrilled. I was so excited about that. I was pumped. And, and I'm reflecting more on why I, I was. Um. Because I love working with teenagers, and, and I love working with adults as well, um, but I, I really, I like my area, and this was a whole new kind of a set of, of stuff for me. I was so excited about that, and so I began asking, why, why is this so exciting? I know that a good portion of my excitement was that I love seeing people, even seeing adults and teens together um, doing ministry side by side. I love that. I love seeing people who maybe haven't served in a church for a long time to get involved in a ministry. And I, and I love it that we were able to see a lot of people start serving during that series for the first time, and now they're plugged into a team and they're serving, they're building relationships, connecting. I love that. And that was, that was probably a large part of my motivation for being involved in that. But I know that at least part of my excitement was that the people above me felt like I was needed. And that innate need that we all have, that need to be needed, what I found in this experience, it can drive us to say yes many times. Now I know for me that, that as I talked more with God, worked with with, with him, and this, this was the right yes. There are some opportunities that are given to you you say yes when you say yes and you say no and you should say no this was a, a clear yes from god and I'm, if i would do it again i'd 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 say yes again i love it but i know that in my my heart that some of the motivation was out of a place of insecurity maybe you can say the same thing so often our need to be needed that's fueled by our insecurities Force us to say yes when we should say no. And that yes means we attend another meeting and, and, an, and another conference, and we say yes to that thing, so it means we're out another night from home, and we're on the phone more, and, and we have more stress to deal with, and more emails to send when we should have just said no. Our insecurities show up. So often, you know, I read a blog post from a guy named John Acuff. Um, he recently put this up, and he was talking about Instagram and, and how he has he has an iPhone. He's got um, uh, he's he's got Instagram on it, and and his, his two daughters, six years old and nine years old, and they and they love to take his phone and and just take pictures with it. And so they took a picture of it, um, uh, some kind of a, a photo, and then they added cats to it, which you know kids do. It's awesome. It's fun. They add cats to it. I don't know why I. I be like the last animal I'd put on, on something. But, um, but they, they did that. And, and so then you know, he, he took the photo and he uploaded it to Instagram and, and stuff like that. Well, a couple days later, his kids, he said in this blog post, his, his kids came downstairs and they went to him and said, hey, how many likes did it get? And it, he says in his post here that, that at that moment, he realized that he was going to hold off on social media for his kids for a lot longer. For his kids, I'm not saying, we're not saying this with, with, um, to say that's necessarily the the thing to do for everybody, but for his kids, he feels, you know what, I don't need to go, I don't need my kids to go through life fueling their insecurities by how many likes they get, because you know what, the reality is, there's a lot of things you do, there's a lot of things you're called to do that you're not going to get likes for, and that's Okay. But if you go through life and your insecurities are saying, Man, I need a number of likes, or I need a number of retweets, or I need, I need this, or I need you gotta you gotta be careful. I think it's why Proverbs says so adamantly, it says, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Be careful with your heart. Deal with your insecurities, slow down enough to 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 figure out why you wanna say yes before you say yes. And deal with the heart underneath that the chase is costing us it 's costing our families it's costing our leadership it 's also costing our faith in your notes that it, it can turn spirituality into a to do list. You could also put it, it, it turns relationship with God into a religion. It can turn spirituality into a to do list you know the last two Bible characters that I, I mentioned. They were hot on the chase, and we have no indication from Scripture that they ever got off the chase. But this next character, I want to give a little hope to you uh, this morning. He was on the chase as well, but God rescued him from that chase. His name is Paul, and he's talking here in in, in Philippians 3 about the chase that he was on. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. If you're a Jewish person, that was exactly part of the the decree on on the 8th day, not the 7th day. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So nationality, ethnically, I am completely Jewish. Practically speaking, religiously speaking, I'm completely Jewish. In regard to the law a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, listen to this, faultless. I mean, talk about religion, of where it's at. And for Paul, the chase, the chase that he was on had transformed something, a tool used to connect broken people to a holy God religion. He transformed that into a checklist, a to-do list. And so many people in our culture are chasing that to-do list and they're missing the point of it all. For so many people, they do the church thing, they do the prayer thing, they read the Bible, but it's a, it's a, it's 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 just it's, the, it's it's action without meaning, and they're chasing it. Maybe you're here today, maybe you you're just you're doing this religion thing. Maybe you you're you're here at church and and you're just starting out. You wanna you want one of your maybe your goals your resolutions for the new year is to to go to church more and be more involved, which is awesome. We encourage that. And you can certainly meet God at church. You can certainly interact with God through his word. In fact, you won't interact with God outside of his word. You have to do that. But if you're only chasing that to-do list, that task, be careful because you can miss the heart, the relationship behind it. The chase is costing us, guys. And I want to encourage you this morning to not chase this year away. To slow down. So what does it look like? What does it look like in, in the life of a person who has given up the chase? Or the life of a person who's maybe trying to stop chasing? We, we're, we're, none of us are perfect at this. I know this isn't easy. What does that look like? Let me give you maybe four, four ways this, this is fleshed out. People who have given up the chase continually, they do this all the time on a, on a regular basis. They redefine busyness. Here's the deal. Let's, let's not let culture define what busyness is. Let's let the Word of God speak into that and, and give some truth to that. Here, here's what, what I've learned that our culture defines busyness as success. That if you're busy, that must mean that you're successful. I started thinking that. I believed that lie, and, I, and, I, and, it, and it wrecked some things in my life. You know what I'm starting to see from God's Word? As God's Spirit interacts with, with my heart, I believe busyness doesn't mean success. I believe busyness means brokenness. Busyness means brokenness. And yet, so often we treat it like a badge of honor. I'm so busy. And I was just talking, I was catching up with some, some family this, this past week, as I know many of you guys were as well, and people I haven't seen in, in a long time. The one guy comes up to me and says, are, are you keeping busy? Are you keeping busy? And and, uh, and it's it, and kind of the way he asked it, and is the way that so many of us often ask it. And it was a, you know, there's a value in that. It's a good thing. That's something to that that you want to say yes to that. And and if I was not as nice of a guy, and I just wanted to be more blunt, I would have said something like, you know, no, not not really. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to slow my life down and quiet my soul, live with some margin so I can love my wife and care for my daughter. You know, listen to the still, small voice of Jesus helping me to live life the way he intended it to be. How are you doing? <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, I think the truth of the matter is, um, busyness is brokenness. When I, when I hear, I can look back at my own life, when I started out, I was always talking about how busy I was. And, and I can see the brokenness in my life. When I hear people constantly talk about how busy they are, I'm finding that something's usually very broken. Maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's relationally, maybe it's spiritually. But there's stuff that's not dealt with. Could we be content with not being busy? That if you gave up some stuff in your life, would something else rush back in and take its place? Max Lucado says, this, busyness? Busyness is an expert in robbing the sparkle and replacing it with the drab. The strategy of busyness is deceptive. Busyness won't steal your marriage from you. He'll do something far worse." He'll paint it with the familiar coat of drabness. He'll replace evening gowns with bathrobes, nights on the town with evenings in the recliner, and romance with routine. He'll scatter the dust of yesterday over the wedding pictures in the hallway until they become a memory of another couple in another time. Hence, walks won't be taken, games will go unplayed, hearts will go unnurtured, opportunities for intimacy will go ignored, all because the poison of busyness has blinded the wonder of marriage. Busyness is the enemy of depth. You know, and something needs to change in our schedules or else we'll never experience the depth in relationship, in our primary relationships that God intends for us to experience. People who have given up the chase continually look at their schedules and say, you know what, I'm not chasing busyness, I'm going to slow down. They also do this, though, the second thing, they examine the why behind the yes. They examine the why behind the yes. See, we all know that we need to say no more. I mean, we're so stressed out. We're so busy. We're we're going crazy here and there. And we know the answer is we need to say no. But let me go a step further with you and and encourage you. Before you say yes to something, when somebody says, you know, hey, will you do this? Will you consider it? Will you join this team? Will you do this? Say, let me get back to you. Let me pray about it. Let me talk it over with, with my family. And then do that, pray about it, talk it over with your family, and get alone and spend some time reflecting on that and make a list and say, why do I want to say yes? Why do I want to say yes to this? What about my ego will be stroked if I say yes to this? What about my insecurities will be hidden if I say yes to this? And, and I'm not saying you say no more necessarily. Maybe it's a, it's a yes, but slow down enough to know why you're saying yes or why you're saying no. They examine the why behind the yes. They also do this. They protect their Sabbath to refuel their soul. People who have given up the chase are hawks and rigid about days off. That They have a day every week that they don't work. And they're religious about that. You know, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's interesting to me that in the Ten Commandments, you know, God lists ten things he wanted his people, Israel, to not do. And, I mean, we're talking murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal your neighbor's ox. I mean, big deals, big things, all right? And right in that same list, right, you know, right near where it says, you know, don't, don't worship any other gods, I mean, big things like that, he says, protect your Sabbath. The seventh day, your day off. In other words, it's, you work six days straight. You work hard, you're productive, you're efficient. You work your tail off. But the seventh day, you don't work. You rest. You, 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 you sit in the living room. You do something with your family. You take a break. You turn your phone off. All that. In the Ten Commandments. God feels that, that it's that important for your soul. Let me ask you this. Are you always on? Is your phone ever off? Like, literally off. Are you ever away from email? Is it ever impossible to reach you? I I had an experience of this a couple of months ago. I had to cancel a meeting. Something came up, and we just couldn't do it. And so I was calling all of my leaders who were supposed to be at this meeting and said, hey, it's canceled. I got every single one of them but one. And I, and I, couldn't, I couldn't reach them. And, and this is not somebody who, like only has a telegraph machine, you know, um, where you send smoke signals. This is someone who's very connected, email, text messaging, cell phones, home, everything. And so I hit all those venues, and for about eight hours I didn't get a hold of them. And I'm like, man, I hope that, I hope that they, they get the message. They did, and, uh, and they got back to me. They didn't show up. But I, what I loved about that was that this leader was unreachable. And I, and I think there's something good about that for your soul, that every now and then, maybe even every seven days on your day off, that you can't be reached. You, you're not that important to the world. And I used to think that I was. I used to think, oh my goodness, if something happens at the church, I've got to rush over there. I'm... There's other people. There, there are times when you need to take that time off, protect your Sabbath, be religious about that, take a day off. Here's what else they do. They create space for the spontaneous. They create space for the spontaneous. You know, some of the most memorable moments you'll ever share with your family and those closest to you are the unplanned, spontaneous moments. Those are the things you you can't ever stage. You rarely will capture them on video or in a photo. It just kind of happens. But if you're so busy... And if you're chasing so hard it's it's funny how this works, but you'll never have those moments and And your families will be boring, and life will kind of just go on same old same old, but man, get some spark into it. you've got to create space for the spontaneous i was with again I was with family this past week and and in uh, one of my my sister-in-law, she said she wanted to talk with me about, about something. So I said, okay, she's younger, she's about a teenager. And I said, all right, so let's, we'll, we'll talk. She's like, let's talk a little bit later. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I was sitting in the living room, and I had my phone, and I was um, just, I don't know, there's a million things you can do with your phone and, and, and stuff. So I was, I was on there, and, and she comes in. And it was so hard to pull myself away from that and, and, and to step away because I knew she wanted to talk. And I knew that if I stayed on that and I kept looking there, she wouldn't ask again. And so I had to shut it off and even wait and waste time and be inefficient until she started talking. I heard somebody else say this, and, and I think it's helpful for me. I'm going to try this um, with my family. I've been trying it. Um, that when, when we're driving in the car, there's, there's no phone calls that happen for me, for me. That, you know, even when my daughter, when Adeline becomes a teenager and she doesn't want to talk to me, and she just wants to kind of sit there and she has nothing to say, maybe we could go the whole ride without her saying anything, that I won't take a phone call. Because I want to create space for the spontaneous and for those moments. Let me boil it down to this. You know, if your worth and your value in life is de- defined by what you're chasing, you're chasing the wrong thing. If I could encourage you in any area, it would be this year to make this the year that you stop chasing, that you give it up and you say, God, I am who I am, you made me who I am, you'll direct my path, you'll lead me, but I don't need to put my relationships on the line and avoid the stuff that needs to be dealt with in my life in order to get there. Let's pray. God, I know that for, for us here, this is, this is not easy. This is easy to say. It's easy to preach this message, but it's, it's, this is difficult to live for each one of us. And I pray, God, you give us an, an unusual amount of, of strength as we go into this new year, as we kind of refocus our time, that you would help us to give our best attention to our best relationships where it matters most. I pray, God, that you'd help us to, to figure this balance out for those here, Lord, who may not be in a relationship with you, maybe they're, they're chasing after stuff and they know that there's something deeper in life, God, I pray that you continue to stir within their hearts to know, God, that you are, are worth following after, you're worth chasing after, and that you actually desire us to, to live life with margin and, and, and meaning. So we ask that you would guide and direct, that you would, you would help us to, to live this stuff out. And we ask in your name. Amen.